It's time for the Cybersecurity News Bite with Jim Guckin. Cybersecurity News Bite, episode number 66 for July 31st, 2023. A new exploit for the Search MS protocol. What is nitrogen malvertising? Education sector has the highest share of ransomware victims. And the breach forms, database, and private chats are up for sale. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Cybersecurity News Bite. I am, as always, your host, Jim Guckin, and uh, we are talking today about uh, a, a plethora of stories that I think you need to know uh, coming into this new week here uh, and what you need to be on the lookout for, for um, from, a sec- from a security perspective. You don't know, we don't all have to be security experts. In fact, majority of the time, I myself am not a security expert, even though I play one on TV. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about some of the stories uh, that I found this week that I wanted to share with you because I think they are very interesting. So the first one has to come um, from a company called Trellix. Uh, their advanced research center actually po- posted a blog entry uh, from July 26. And pretty much what they have done is they've, they've discovered a new technique using the uh, search MS URI. Uh, which stands for Uniform Resource Identifier uh, Protocol. Uh, And what this does is it um, allows attackers to kind of make remote stuff look local uh, so that they can use it in phishing and pretty much trick your users or possibly even you into downloading malware. So um, the funny thing about this is search, search MS is something I've heard, but I never really actually had to pay attention to it uh, until I was reading this article. And I recommend you go to the show notes after the show. Uh, if you download the podcast, uh, you know, you can always go to cybersecuritynewsbite.com or uh, the, some of the links are, are usually in our um, podcast feed. So I recommend that you go check those out. Um, but here is a just a brief, really simplified version of what the uh, search MS URI is um and pretty much what it is is it allows you to search for other things on your computer it's it's it's, it's like a yeah, internal search engine um and this new attack that uh trellix has found is using this kind of built-in computer search capacity thingy and i'm sure there are programmers out there and i and look you can always email me and tell me I'm wrong and I will correct it. Um, but this is not my specialty. Uh, so they are using this. Uh, the attackers are using this Trellix found in phishing campaigns, usually with your generic phishing language. Hey, I'm your boss. I need you to open this file. And it shows an, an attachment. Uh, this attachment is usually either HTML or PDF based. It shows a trusted logo, whether it's um, Adobe, Microsoft, etc. Something you're expecting as a link. Uh, but the link is really to another site totally. And when you click it, it makes it look like it's searching things locally. You know, the search bar you're, you're familiar with, if you ever had to search files on your Windows computer. Now, the malicious word documents, you usually, I should say, it's a twofold attack. So there's a malicious word document portion of this in which they uh, use it to find whatever they, you know, whatever openings they want to get. And then they use this search MS URI to bring up a search um, 
page. Uh, it looks like a local search, not like a Google search or anything along the lines, just, just a Windows search bar. Uh, and in there, they will have things that look like security updates. Um, and <laughs> they will use this to trick your users uh, into double clicking some of those critical security updates. Uh, and uh, well, that's when they install malware on the system. Uh, so the idea of this is all just kind of the social engineering game. It gives the illusion that it's trusted because it looks like it's on your network, not usually on your computer, but like on a, a local share. And I guarantee you not many users out there besides knowing the drive letter would really have any idea of what, you know, two steps down that should be. What's the server name? What's the IP address? They'll have none of that. So if they're presented with something that looks like it's on their local computer or on a trusted shared drive, they are way more likely to click this. And well, that's that's where, you know, they get the, the malicious stuff installed on there. So the exploit in it of itself is not the problem. It is how you stack it upon with other versions of it. You can install malware or whatever you want when you're having them click those extra files. Now, the remediation Trellix had mentioned uh, is to remove the search MS protocol handler from the Windows registry. Uh, and in the show notes, there will be directions on how to do so. Um, and this will prevent any malicious documents from trying to trigger that search uh, MS command, thus protecting your user from that. Now, the problem is, is if this is something that you and your users use, then obviously there's nothing uh, right now that you can do to kind of protect yourself. It's just something you have to be aware of. Um, and I recommend uh, in, in as much as I can that you go to the website of Trellix because the really it, it's a very lengthy description of how this attack works and they can show you examples and they show you the kind of phishing campaigns that they're doing and, and, and stuff like that to give you a real idea of how this kind of attack really takes place. And I'm just kind of trying to keep it at a top level for you. Um, but because it's not a real attachment, it is not going to show up in most uh, antivirus scanners or, or email filters. You know, it may get around some of those things. And because it's HTML, it may not show up in other things until it's clicked. Now, if you have some kind of click protection that may do it, I haven't seen anything that would say that it wouldn't. Um, but not everyone has that level of security on their email. So it's something that you need to pay attention to because it looks good. Uh, and uh, when I was reading the, the, the entire paper from Trellix, I had to step back for a second and go, well, I have to applaud the thought going into some of these phishing campaigns that they have caught because they look really good. They, 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 they have the, the typical phishing stuff, but there's not the misspellings. There's not the red flags that you're familiar with. I mean, yeah, there may be the, the external domain, but you know, clever enough hacker can always get around that stuff. So I heavily uh, say it takes some time. I think it only took me about five, five, ten minutes to, to go through this and really understand this kind of attack because there's always going to be a kind of a, a, an adjustment that hackers are going to take, malicious actors are going to take because it's it's something that they will continue to improve upon. And this is new, so there's not a patch for it right now. And I said the only way really to protect yourself is to remove a kind of a key function of Windows when you're searching for files. And that 
you know, I, I can't see in many circles that's going to be something easy or something even realistic to do. So I really hope that you take your time, you read it, you understand it. And look, and if you can, if you can, if you, if you can go into your registry and kill the search MS functionality, go for it. Good for you. Um, and it's a great way to protect yourself, you know, from other attacks. But I think for the majority of you out there, this is not going to be as easy as killing your registry key. Now, this is not an all or nothing thing. If you can target specific computers that you know should not be using that functionality, I recommend you go after those. But you're going to have to, you know, weigh the risks internally for you, figure out what the backlash is going to be when you kill this functionality. People may or may not even be using it, but if they are, maybe just leave them with the access and everyone else away. At least you will kill some of the attack surface that an attacker may try to go after. Because now not only do they have to fish someone, they have to fish the correct person in your organization. Depending on how big or small, the odds are probably better off in your favor. For our second story this week, it, it has something to do with malvertising, which is presenting malware or well, presenting malware and advertising, as the name would say. Uh, and this campaign is called Nitrogen. And it is a new campaign out there. And it is exploiting Google search and Bing ads, which congratulations, someone has recognized that Bing still exists. Um, and so what they're doing is they're targeting in this specific campaign, nonprofits and technology people, which I think is really a fascinating thing because you would hope, you would hope that most technology people will be a little smarter than the fall for this kind of attack. Now, you may have heard also malvertising is a, is a, is a certain term. Uh, Pay-per-click uh, is also a term used in advertising. It can be used like this way for, for malware. It's not a new technique. It's been a technique that's been around for a while, though this particular, the nitrogen malware, is a new one. And what I like about these from a malicious actor standpoint, not as a defender, but as a malicious actor standpoint, is when you pay for ads, they will appear on top of the actual brand in which people want to go for. So um, how often, and I, and I do this all the time, I'll Google something, I'll Google a business, they don't necessarily know what their, what their website is. And then there will be an ad for their business on top of the first search result, which is their business. So now I've clicked that, they've now had to pay Google because uh, that's, the, that's the top level. And that's where the problem lies. So they let's just say, actually, let's get into this a little more. So these these ads that are pretending to be malware are very specifically targeted uh, right now around a couple different softwares: AnyDesk, Cisco AnyConnect, Tree Size Free, and WinSCP, all technology tools. So how this would go is. I want to find, I, I want to download any desk. So I go to do, 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 Google any desk. And from there, the first link may be a malicious ad that looks like any desk's website. And I click the link. I get taken to a compromised web press site, a WordPress site. I don't go, I don't go to actually any desk site. I go to, I go to a WordPress site that is made to look exactly like any desk site so that I wouldn't even think about it. 
I find the ISO file that they have there, I download it and I run it. Surprise, infection. All because I didn't pay attention to that URL. Um, now, that's very malicious because said the ads appear on the top of it. And how many of us skip over all the ads before you click the first link? Someone up my comments will absolutely say 100%, it's me. I never click the first ad. I go to the first web link. Majority, majority of people don't. And I don't even do it when I'm looking for uh, vendors who I'm looking to do business with. I'll click on the first link because I know it gets me there anyway. Now, I look at the URL, but not everyone does. And I'm not going to pretend they do. And I'm not going to not, not gonna shame anyone for doing that. But this is a tactic that they're using. So if you're, if you're in technology or if you're in nonprofit space, be careful when you're searching for a company. So back to the, to the nitrogen malware. So when the installer is running, it sideloads a DLL file called nitrogeninstaller.dll. It also still has the legitimate installer running, but it now has a malicious Python script running along with it. The Python packages uses a DLL, dynamic link library, for preloading the rest of the malware. It executes a malicious nitrogen stager file. That nitrogen stager file reaches out to the command and control server or the C2 server. That is the server that tells the malware what to do. So nine out of 10 times, what it's going to do is it's going to download a, a interpreter shell, a shell so that the hacker can get in and do whatever they want and some cobalt strike beacon so that it can maintain that connection. This nitrogen malware also uses some um, uncommon uh, export forwarding and some DLL preloading techniques to kind of make it hard to detect the activity and to hinder anyone trying to, you know, dissect it for more analysis. So what does this mean? One, I hope you have a good uh, web filter, whether it's proxy, whether it's a, a, a content filtering that looks for this kind of stuff. Because as I said, this is targeting maybe IT people who may not be paying the most attention. We are in an industry right now where no matter what your job is, it tends to be do more with less. And when you do more with less, you're more than likely to make some of these mistakes. You just quickly grab the file. I just need to run win SCP. I go to it. It looks like the site I've seen a hundred times. And then I download the file. Now, eventually there will be catching on. You'll see the, you know, the endpoint detection response software start catching this stuff but they'll just change the type or the file or make it evade better. So it's a great technique from a hacker standpoint because it relies on you not paying close enough attention. If you have the right tools in place to detect it, will you detect it? Most likely give it some time. They'll change their tactics. They always do. They're always one step ahead of us when they need to be. They'll continue to use this for as long as they need to. But pay attention. This is why even technology professional, because my argument originally when I read this was no technology professional is that not paying attention to what they're doing. And then in reality, I had to come back to myself and go, no, absolutely. There's probably someone out there who is not 
necessarily paying full attention to what they need to be. And that's causing this problem. And, you know, knowing from the IT people I work with, sometimes they're asked to do like 50 projects at one time. So they may take a shortcut. And in all honesty, even not even blaming them, it's working because they're using it. If it was a bad uh, tactic, if they, you know, aiming for technology people wasn't working, well, then they would stop. So the fact that this is there and it's gotten so much to, uh, you know, get back to a, a, a security article that I have read, that should tell you that this is something that is working. And now it doesn't say necessarily what technology people, it could be anyone there, but looking at the tools, uh, AnyDesk, which is a remote desktop tool, Cisco AnyConnect, which is a VPN tool, uh, WinSCP, which is, you know, a, a system administration tool. And I'm going to, I, I don't know what tree size free is, but I'm going to guess that it shows you all the folders and how big they are. So they're targeting a very specific group of people in the technology world, mostly system administrators, and it's working. So please pay attention when you click any of this stuff because it is really going to be a problem, uh, especially going forward, if we're falling for these kind of attacks. And it's just because people are rushing. And I understand. And I'm not going to blame anyone. But you'd also don't want to be responsible for when your company, you know, eventually gets hit with a cyberware attack. I'm just, no one wants to be in that position. Whether you are a defender or the person who accidentally clicked the file, it is not fun for anybody. For our third story, which was very interesting to me because I have a lot of friends who work in the, in the education sector. And Sophos has put out their state of ransomware and education for 2023. In which case they took 400 IT and cybersecurity leaders globally all across the world. And they hit schools of higher education and lower education. I don't even know if that's the correct term for it. I probably should have looked up before I started the show. Um, but it was kind of interesting what I saw from that. I'm not going to pretend because I know a lot of people who work in education for uh, the technology side that the money is not there. It's not or it's not a huge organization. Those of us who work in uh, places where money is coming in, sometimes we're not always seen as, you know, a money generation unit. Almost never are we seen as a money generation unit. But there's a there's something protecting us because we protect the assets that that organization brings in, regardless of what organization it is. I've been across a whole bunch of organizations. It's the same thing. You may not get a big budget, but you get just as big enough as the risk tolerance is going to, going to take for you. Education, there's there's no money all around, which leads to some of these problems. But the results, I think, are very interesting enough that I wanted to talk about it. And some of those results are um, in higher education institutes uh, in 2022, 79% were compromised by ransomware. And that's up from 64% in 2021. So almost a 15% increase in higher education in ransomware in one year. Now, for lack of a better term, the lower education system, the ones that are not higher education, uh, they had an 80% uh, report in compromise of ransomware in the last year. And unfortunately, they're worse because they were 56% in 2021. So 
they have jumped up almost 25%, 24%, whatever the math is. I'm, I'm not good mathing. That's why I don't work in the education sector. Um, so that is another significant jump in one year for the number of organizations that were ransomware in the education sector. Most of this comes down to exploits and compromised credentials. 77% of ransomware attacks against higher education and a 65% against uh, lower education. So really, really high up there. And when it comes to compromised credentials, the non-specific industry average is 29%. 29% of organizations all across the board are going to have some kind of compromised credential. Lower education has a 36% uh, rate and higher education has a 37% rate. Almost dead even between the two of them. And I was kind of wondering why such a, you know, so why so much higher above the average? And I understand averages, you have to have higher and lower to get that number, but why were these specifically both kind of in that same realm? Well, as I kept reading the reading the report, um, there was there was about three glaring things that uh, aren't very expensive solutions to this problem. And I don't understand why the education system may not have adopted this across the board. The first being which is something I have screamed, uh, you know, throughout my security career as the most basic step, which is MFA, multi-factor authentication. That I, I have a username, a password, and a third way of verifying I am who I am, whether that's a push notification, whether that is a text message, whether that's an email message. We can hold out the discussion on if any of them were good or bad. At least there's a functionality there. they don't necessarily have it in the tech and the education system that makes them even higher risk of compromise. So if someone just stumbles across a username and password, which no matter what your organization says about, please don't sign up for websites using your corporate or education or organizational email address, people are going to do it and they're going to do it. And they're going to keep the same passwords. Or even if you have a password changing policy within is a slight deviation from that. You know, maybe the password's not password one, two, three, four at symbol. Maybe now it's one, two, three, four pound symbol or hashtag, depending on how, what your age is. That that's, that's what most users do. They, they, they just, you know, either count up or add a symbol or change something, whatever. It's a small change that a hacker could probably go through and guess really quickly. So to not have MFA at all puts them at a higher risk. Now, the next one is even worse. So what makes them a great target is they're willing to pay ransomware. So the ransomware payments in higher education is about 56% of respondents were said, yeah, we did. We were hit. Was it 70? So almost 80% of them said, yeah, we, we had a compromised a compromise of some count. 56 of that 79% said, yeah, well, we paid it. Now, for the uh, lower education, 80% had the ransomware as a reminder. 
or, or some kind of um, compromise, 47% paid. Now, if we go back to the show, was it last week, week before, where I talked about thinking of the ransomware gangs as malicious actors as a business. As a business. Hacking an educational provider makes really good sense right now. Your chance of getting your infection in are pretty high. Using compromised accounts without MFA makes your cost lower. You don't have you don't have to wait for a zero day or anything along those lines. You just keep guessing passwords until you eventually it works. And then, and then you have about a fifty percent chance, a flip of the coin, if they're going to pay you. And then add on top of that, the next stat that I thought was pretty bad, which was sixty three percent only do backups, sixty three percent. So you have almost another seven, uh, 37%. There's a 37% chance that you're going to hit an organization that does not have a regular backup or a backup at all. And yet that's going to, to really factor in if they're going to pay you. Because if you hold all their data ransom. Now, yeah, you, you, you can leak it out. And I, I don't think they, they would get some reputational damage, but it's not going to hurt them too much. Uh, but if they don't have a backup and they have to have that data, yeah, I mean, that's you have a good odd, good odds on getting a payment because you now hold the only copy of the data they have. In fact, you might as well just start being like, look, for $10 a month, we will back your data up for you and, that, and then we'll make sure this doesn't happen again. You don't fall victim to it because that's a really bad thing. So those three things, if you're thinking of yourself as a hacker from a business perspective, there's no MFA stopping you. You don't have to be creative in the way you get to these accounts. They are about 50% likely to, to pay your ransomware and about 30%, 37%, almost 40%, they don't have backups. Four out of 10 don't have good backups of the data. This is why the education system right now, from a technology standpoint, is an easy target for these hackers. These same controls that almost every organization has, they don't. I mean, if anything, just the MFA portion and forcing multi-factor authentication could make this just a little harder for most hackers to get in. I mean, granted, if you're going to pay more than 50% of your, your, your ransomware uh, things, you're still going to be a pretty good target. But you're going to make it a little harder. Uh, you know, raise the bar so that, you know, your average, you know, punk with a computer can't necessarily hold your entire organization hostage. Because it's not hard. At least make them put a little bit of work into it. Now for our final story is actually one that I love uh, because we speak a lot on the show of how you need to protect yourself from hackers. Well, apparently they're they're well. I sh it shouldn't it shouldn't be a shocker. There are no honor amongst thieves. So we've talked a couple times on the show about breach forms. It was a large hacking and data leak forum that was out there. They were almost notorious for, for, you know, where all the hackers hung out, you know, whether they were hosting, leaking, cell installing data, this was the place to go. Now, earlier this year, the clear web was seized. The clear web being the internet that you go to, you hit WWW or whatever, wherever you go without having to, you know, use any special tools or sign into a, a, 
a password protected site. Anything that you can just get to on the internet is considered clear web. So the websites that were out there on the regular internet were seized by multiple international agencies. The site administrator, Connor Brian Fitzpatrick, who we talked about in the show, was arrested. And uh, Baphomet, who is the other site admin, has shut down the site. And now he has now since gone to open up another clone site, but he shut down the Breach Forum site. Uh, and if you try to go to Breach Forums, it directs you to a government, we took this down page. So we've talked about that. None of this is new. None of this should be surprising to anybody. But on July 26, uh, have I been pwned? The, the, the big site we go to to see if your information is out there on the dark web or being sold by hackers. That's where a lot of people tell you to go. They set out and said, hey, look, visitors in the canal check if their information was exposed uh, in the data breach of the breached forums. Um, and, you know, kind of interesting. You want to hope your information is not in there because that's kind of, you know, what the hackers were talking about. But what I learned from there is back in November of 2022, Breach Forums itself was breached. And this is where the news story comes in because there is someone out there who is selling that breached data that came from breached forums. So that person has what they said is uh, uh, 212,000 records. This is includes usernames, IP addresses, email addresses, private messages between the site members, passwords, and payment information. Now, the private messages, that could be really useful to, you know, threat intelligence specialists or cybersecurity researchers because that gives you the idea of well, we know this person bought that and this or this person sold it. And, and with these IP addresses, we can kind of say, hey, it's these kind of hacking groups or this hacking group in particular that we're looking for. Um, the payment information is is also useful. It may not be as useful because the payment information that, that the person has, the seller has, uh, is made to purchase forum ranks, which is like membership levels and some extra benefits you could get uh, and you know, credits in which was a form of currency that was used on the forum so they could spend money without spending their actual money harder to trace. Now, the payments for this were processed through Coinbase or they were processed through Celix. And this was ordered, this information they have shows that the confirmations, um, such as the cryptocurrency addresses and the Coinbase payment IDs. Once again, cybersecurity experts can go through and try to match the wallet IDs with known hacker groups. And that is going to be kind of interesting because another way to kind of tie these two groups together. Now, all this data is is, is reportedly in a uh, Argorn 2 hash file, which is something easily able to do. Uh, but what I think was interesting here was, so the seller who has this data and is selling this data, uh, has shared it with Have I Been Pwned? Not out of the kindness of their hearts, mind you. They've shared this data, a little a little uh, segment of all the data they have, to authenticate it. And Have I Been Pwned has authenticated it. 
and now the seller is able to go, look, have I been pwned has verified that this is a true hacked database. Obviously going to make it sell. Now, what I think is interesting here is the seller has said in, in conversations with, um, have I been pwned that have been made out, uh, that only they Baphomet, who is the other site admin, Pom Pom Porin, who is the guy we talked about, uh, who was, who was arrested, uh, Connor, Brian Fitzpatrick and the feds have access to this database. So Baphomet, whoever that may be, probably has an idea of who this, because not, not everyone would have access to the, to this data. Uh, now the person selling it says, look, I only want to sell it to one person. That's it. One person for about a hundred thousand to 150,000. And that contains the entire database, a snapshot taken back on November 29th, 2022. So they've now proven that this is something you need to be aware of and they, and they're only selling to one person. So that should be good. More than likely, I would assume some kind of, um, threat intelligence or cybersecurity researcher is going to be the one who buys this. Um, but who knows, maybe some bad actor will buy this and flip this around. Cause yeah, if you spend $150,000 on a, on a database and you're not doing it for the right reasons, then well, maybe you might just sit in there and spend time selling it off to other, everyone else. Try to make your money back. It could be investment. Who knows? Um, I don't know what, what the market of buying that is, but Hey, it could be out there. Now, we talked about the, the uh, breached admin Baphomet has confirmed also the authenticity of the database. He got a part of it, says, yes, this is definitely it. Um, warning that the sale is a continued campaign and in, in Baphomet's word, a continued campaign attempting to destroy the community. So maybe someone he knew that was being bad. Now, Baphomet also had said that judging by the 212,000 users, this is likely an older database months before closing. Um, seeing that the last backup that Baphomet has of that database is 336,000 users. So, I mean, the fact that he says it's right and has data may not be, if you join it at the end, you're maybe you're fine, but that's a lot of data out there. And I'm kind of interested to see what comes out of this. I hope someone buys it and shares it or it leaks out eventually. Um, because it'd be interesting to see. You know, for most people, how the world of the underground works. Because a lot of people, it's just, it just mystery to them. But if you've been on the dark web, you kind of see these conversations go back and forth and who's negotiating for what and what they're going to take and can they trust you and do you have someone vouching for you or make sure you're not a fed. That, you know, they're very close-knit groups. So I'm sure some of the chats, you know, we want to be all like, you know, hey, I'm a Russian hacker and this is what I'm doing. Or... But more likely, it's going to be like, you know, two buds who have talked to each other for a while trying to negotiate price on stuff. It's still dangerous. Don't get me wrong. It's still very dangerous. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting moving forward with this kind of stuff because, well, it gives a peek into that underworld. And hopefully is that a cybersecurity company buys this and they leverage this to start putting together who did what attacks. Because it's not hard once you kind of know the players to figure out who they're attached to. And now that you have payment addresses and, and IP addresses, you can start making these, you know, granted they're somewhat old, but you're tying an attacker group back down to specific attacks. And one of the hardest things to do in cybersecurity and honesty um, 
is make uh, attributions saying, hey, this hacker group attacked this. Most of the time you'll see me in these stories. And even if you read uh, articles of hacked, they go, well, we think it's this group because you got to remember most groups we know one are named by people who are not that group. They're usually cybersecurity researchers and go, hey, this is a APT group number 44. Or this is Shadow Tiger uh, because there's something in their code that says that. Or this malware strains this. And, and, and it's not necessarily always clear cut. And even if you have the information, it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be a clear cut because people change groups sometimes or they splinter off and do their own thing or they are, you know, building their own things on the sides. They may have the same IP addresses, the same command and control servers. But at least you have a bigger piece of the puzzle. So it'll be very interesting going forward, uh, kind of on, you know, what that looks like. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the show. I really do appreciate it. Don't forget, you can find all the information we talked about here, as well as the news articles and more information about the stories we've talked about uh, available on the cybersecuritynewsbyte.com website. You can go there. They are sorted by episodes. Just click this episode or whatever episode you want to listen to, and uh, that'll be there. Also, don't forget, you can find us on all of your favorite podcasting sites. If there's one that you use that we are not currently on, let me know. But I did spend a lot of time trying to chase down every major one I could find. Uh, don't forget on those podcast sites to interact there. You can like, comment, subscribe, uh, keep up the date. We try to do this show at least every Monday. Every once in a while, I miss a couple of them. Uh, but every Monday, the show should release uh, with this. You can head over to uh, my YouTube channel, which is uh, Jim Guckin. You can just search me up on YouTube or Cybersecurity News, but you can search that up. There is a video version of this where you just see my face as I talk. It's not really that great. Just my voice sounds better than my face looks. Uh, but I offer that as people who like to kind of, you know, use YouTube on that. Um, you can find out more about me personally uh, at my website, me. Uh, not, the website starts with me. JimGuckin.com. If you want, you can always email me, me, M-E at JimGuckin.com and uh, find more information about me there. I'm always, I'm on most of the social medias as Jim Guckin, so you can find me all there. Uh, that list of socials is changing weekly because no one knows what socials are um, or which socials are going to be the next one, really, when it comes down to it. Um, but you can find me in almost all of those. Um, and I always look forward to engaging and talking. You can even look for me on LinkedIn if you want. Uh, please make sure you take time, look more into some of these stories, and keep safe because threats are changing daily and you have to make sure you, you, you keep up with it because otherwise... You're just going to be another statistic like the ones we all talked about today. So make sure you stay safe online and we'll talk again next week. You've been listening to the Cybersecurity News Byte with Jim Guckin. Learn more about our show at cybersecuritynewsbyte.com. 